If the Mexican Grand Prix taught us anything, it's that make sure you find someone in life that makes you as happy as Checo does for his dad. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Seriously, the most wholesome man in the world. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 331 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison, and welcome to the Mexican Grand Prix episode. And yeah, this was a... Well, we're not going to beat around the bush here. This one was uh It was a race. It, it existed. It happened. And uh, no, no, RJ, stay awake. Stay with me here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and... Uh, it happened, it existed, and uh, we got a SEAL club in. And unfortunately, it wasn't the most entertaining one in the world, but uh, certainly a newsworthy one. And uh, we'll get into all of that in the next half an hour, 45 minutes or so. And we got a little bit of MotoGP to get to as well. Um, but more for a different sort of reason than you'd expect. We'll get to that later, I promise. But let's go around the horn real quick. Um, first of all, Mr. Bing Bong himself, Mr. Ryan Eric King. Hello, sir. <clears throat> Um, since the last time we were here, since the last time we were here, my New York Knicks took down the reigning, defending NBA champs, the Milwaukee Bucks. Knicks are here, baby. The Knicks are fucking here, baby. You're all you're all saying it wrong. How are the Knicks? Oh man. Tell me a little something, Michael Andretti. Don't you regret not signing King Kirkwood? Don't you regret not signing King Kirkwood? <laughs> it's now official. AJ Foyt Racing has Kyle Kirkwood. Uh, this is the best prospect you're going to get. Larry Foyt, if you have any aspirations of doing anything as a team principal other than keeping your grandfather's name in the sport, now's a good time to start showing it. Oh, yeah. Couldn't agree more. That was RJ O'Connell. He's absolutely spot on. Yes, in the time since we recorded our bonus episode on Carl Kirk, which you can check out on exclusively on YouTube if you haven't already, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 if you're not listening to us on YouTube or any other else where you can get your platforms, platforms, your podcasts on any other platforms, I should say. Um, you can check that out if you haven't already. It's a, it was a great hour and a quarter on, yeah, the, uh, shall we say, mismanagement of one of the brightest uh, IndyCar prospects we've seen in quite some time. But yes, since then, it was confirmed yesterday he is going to AJ Foyt Racing. It's a seat. It's something. Yay. Something. It's a one-year <laughs> deal. Yeah, that's that's the best possible thing for Kyle Kirkwood. Uh because you, you don't want to get stuck there if they're not serious about building a tender. Like, for all that shit that we talked about, Matt Chilton not being serious about his job, I haven't seen AJ Foyt want to win anything about eight years. The, yeah. bar, the bar is lower than the Nintendo Virtual Boys sales. The oh. bar is lower than uh, the GTA Remaster's uh, quality control. Yeah, sub subterranean to say to say the least on that one. Speaking of which, Cam Buckley, how you doing, sir? He was listed as questionable for this podcast after suffering a um, like a mild bout of sinus infection, but he's here. He soldiered on. How you doing, Buckley? How you doing, big man? <laughs> um, hello, listeners. Uh, hello from the medical bay. Um, <laughs> I've not had a pleasant week. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I I think morale in my camp is about as high as it is uh, <laughs> for Valtteri Bottas's camp right now. <laughs> it's not. It's not going too good. But I'm here. Oh, uh, yeah. You here for four more races? He's, he's going to stick it out for the last four races. And I was like, the, the, after this, my first thought was. Oh my god, there's still four races left. And then my second thought was, oh my god, there's still four races left. They're in the middle of November. <laughs> it's just like we 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 have five we have four races in five weeks to close out the year. Oh, we'll good have Lord. digested like ten different cycles of Kyle Larson champion discourse by the time this oh, yeah, that season happened. ends. Oh, you know, um, despite a championship format that could barely be described as a championship designed specifically to screw people like Kyle Larson out of championships. <laughs> we just couldn't beat this guy. We can't beat this guy. We're banging our heads against the wall. Hedrick Motorsport is a good organization and people need to stop running PR for a guy who's 
you're you don't get they're not going to pay you for running pr you know what yeah. i mean they're not going to run pr for you thinking this is a better comeback than ernie irvin coming back from near fatal head injuries to win multiple races or tim richmond coming back to win back-to-back races with a disease that would go on to eventually ostracize him for the sport and then take his life it's not that great of a comeback kyle larson did it himself Anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's not that much of a comeback because you know he's already a really good driver who just happened to get an upgrade to the best team in the field. Good for him, you know. Good for him. I, I, like I said on Twitter sarcastically, and I'll echo my same tweet here. Congrats to the number five pit crew for winning the Sprint Cup title. I'm that's delighted. A good, that's a good for all of them. It's a good ass. The last race, the last race of the five lugs rule. Now we're going to one lug, and that's social. <laughs> well, we're not here to ac- talk about NASCAR. I, lo- I love that his accent changed the sentence carried on there. It was just, yeah, that was quite funny. Um, yeah, so like I said, Mexican Grand Prix talk, all of that uh, in, in, in the next uh, main part of the segment. And then, of course, a little bit about MotoGP and the Algarve as well, uh, where the main news story was a dive bombing South African. You, you'll have to bear with us on this one. We'll get to the meat and, on, and potatoes on that one in a bit. No, this is not can... a DTM season finale recap from a few weeks ago. No. Oh, God. No. We're not talking no. about that dive bobbing South African. But arguably just as bad. More on that in a minute. Basically, you can find us in the meantime. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're twi- on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101, where people are still sending me hate mail for that last segment on Megan the Stallion. Thanks a bunch, everybody. Uh, thanks yeah, a bunch. Only like, it's only like three dudes. Yeah, you know, it happens. Uh, we're on three Patreon. Dudes that have never been inclined to eat pussy in their lives. <laughs> Uh, you can also subscribe to us on patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 uh, and get all sorts of great content uh, for backing the show financially, uh, including early access to all of our episodes. And of course, you can find all of our material, podcasts, videos, written stuff, motorsport101.com. What RJ said. Thanks for covering me, buddy, while I was uh, trying to put my lung back in my body. Uh, much appreciated. I know so, that feeling. Well- no kidding. I'm about to join you here, Cam. So, as I come back from the medical ring, we'll have RJ talk a little bit about the Mexican Grand Prix. It's not the Mexican Grand Prix. It's the Mexico City Grand Prix. La Grande um. Premio de Distrito Federal. This is a critical round of the championship and an early surprise in qualifying as Red Bull botched both their qualifying final final runs of qualifying. Uh, they were so distracted by Yuki Sonoda taking avoiding action up ahead of him. Uh, Bo- Valtteri Botas took pole at a Mercedes 1-2, which was definitely not looking like a prospect going into the weekend. Uh, no. Botas is the 10th ever driver in a row to qualify on pole in Mexico. But the race was essentially won on turn one after Max Verstappen went from third, got alongside both the Mercedes, and overtook them around the outside of turn one to take the early lead. Then behind them, Daniel Ricciardo locked up and spun Botas around, sending him to the back. Esteban Ocon got pincered by both Yuki Sonoda and Mick Schumacher. Sonoda and Schumacher out. Ocon keeps going. They have a safety car. After the safety car comes out, Max Verstappen took the lead and then just dumps the entire vending machine on everybody's chest. He got on a win by 16 seconds. And this was after he backed off a bit to try and screw up Valtteri Botas' attempt at taking the purple football away. 16 seconds out of Lewis Hamilton, uh, who sustained a ton of pressure from Sergio Perez to take third place and become the first ever Mexican driver to finish on the podium in their home Grand Prix. The scenes of that were amazing. Just oh, yeah. Great. Mexico, <laughs> I, I see Mexico City, I see you up in the discussion of Best Fans 2021. Folks, um, Matt Verstappen's got a 19-point lead in the championship. Mm. Is this over? Feels over. <laughs> it feels. I don't know mm. if it's actually over. It feels over. It's a psychological this, blow. This was a ferocious ass whooping. Max Verstappen upgraded from uh, beatdown seven home premium to beatdown seven ultimate. Mm. This is a boring <laughs> Max Verstappen win. You never thought you'd see the day. <laughs> yeah, how we got to the lead was anything but boring, though, because uh, oh. 
Oh, he, man. Man, if, if Formula E Monaco didn't happen this year, and I still might nominate that as a Scotty, he broke over 30 meters later than Valtteri Bottas, over 20 meters later than Lewis Hamilton. Just supreme confidence in that car on cold tires to hang around the outside there. On a dusty, oily track where everybody was fucking worried that um, people were going to go sliding off at the S.A. Moises Solana, that complex of first three corners. Because I know Fernando Alonso was worried about like, oh, people are going to run off track and gain advantage. Oh, there's going to be a pile. Okay, we did have a pile up. And yeah. Perez did run through the grass, but it didn't really gain him an advantage. Uh, yeah, that was that was a ferocious beatdown. Nobody could live with Verstappen's pace. Uh, everybody else was just having to fight for scraps. Yeah, can I just say first and foremost that like I think it was funny that Fernando Alonso was worried about people cutting the runoff. Like, how ironic is that after what we saw in Russia? Oh, well, that's quite cute. First and foremost, no, I think. If Verstappen goes on to win this championship, which I must admit he's probably now just become overwhelming favourite to do just that, that overtake might be the defining moment of his season. That was astonishing. I, 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 how many times do you say Lewis Hamilton was outbraked by 20 metres going into a corner? Like, 23. It's been a hot minute. <laughs> 23 meters on the, arguably the greatest race car driver of all time. And like, you just assume if someone broke that late, they weren't making the corner. And, and, he, and he made it. the corner, kept, no problem. Yeah, kept two wheels on track the whole time, was a little bit wide, but perfectly legal pass, no question whatsoever. It was inch perfect. It was a wonderful, supreme bit of driving, and it's something that. I want to give credit to Cam to alluding to on Twitter, where I think well, I was thinking on the previous episode a couple of weeks ago, where he said he's getting Schumacher at Benetton vibes about Verstappen in this current run of form that he's in. I couldn't argue. I, I, when I saw that overtake, I was like, "Yeah, Cam, Cam's onto something here." Because this is we are witnessing arguably the best racing driver in the world right now at the peak of his powers in a car that is singing to him at the moment, and that was. A clobbering. That was a clobbering. I don't think I've seen anything like that this season, where it was just comprehensively better in every way, shape, or form. And you don't say that about it, Mercedes very often these days. Yeah, it's another... We said it back in Austria, where it looked like, for the first time in the hybrid era, Mercedes was simply outgunned, and there was nothing they could do about it. This mm. was the first time since that race where I'd say the Red Bull looked that advantageous over the Merck. In the high altitude, not so much on the engine side as was predicted going into this weekend, but just having more downforce in the high altitude. Um, Verstappen had so much more confidence in the car to do what he wanted to do with it. Mm. And if Mercedes doesn't win in Brazil, it's out of their hands. There's nothing they can do. It's going to take yeah, a screw up from comes. Verstappen and... Verstappen just keeps rolling with the punches. Because the way it is, if Hamilton finishes first and Verstappen second, that's a seven-point <laughs> game. Uh, Brazil is the last time that they'll be able to overtake Verstappen in the points before the final race. If they don't win in Brazil, Hamilton will have to take the points lead. Uh, without any Red Bull screw-ups... He'll have to take the points lead at the final race. It would be real exciting if he does, but if you're Mercedes, you don't want to play that close. No, not with the fact that we've got, <coughs> excuse me, um, a circuit in Brazil where Max and Red Bull typically go very well, and oh. two circuits which are, or, or three circuits which are an unknown, two which are complete unknowns, and one which is heavily reconfigured. Yeah, I was going to say, like, best, like, if Verstappen wins in Brazil, even if Hamilton gets fastest lap, it's a 25-point game, and Hamilton is guaranteed, sorry, like, Verstappen, I should say, is guaranteed the tiebreaker on a number of race wins, because I think Verstappen has nine to Hamilton's Yeah, five. Lewis would have to run the table to the end of the year to match that count back. Yeah, yeah and, 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 but, and it also gives Red Bull the range to win around early, potentially. And, and that's also big. If they can hold, yeah. they, they, might not, they might not even need Abu Dhabi to win this title. They can win it in Saudi Arabia, potentially. 
yeah, they could get too f- they yeah they could get too far ahead by Saudi Arabia and it's over, and this, like the only analog to the final three circuits we've gone to this year, well, two of the final three is Bahrain, but that was the first race of the season. That's such a long time ago that doesn't mm. even mean that much that Hamilton won that race. Well, and I'm just I'm just thinking back if we talk about this in terms of a title blow. Turkey, what was it, uh, in a row, we had Monza, we had Sochi, and we had Turkey. Those three races should have been comprehensive walkovers from Lewis, and none of them were. He did win in Sochi, but it was not a walkover by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and it feels like Mercedes can't capitalize when they do have the advantage, because they cleanly had the fastest car all three weekends. And Max just isn't leaving points on the table. The only time where this year where you can really say he did of his own accord was probably Bahrain and a overzealous overtake. Yeah. You, you, you look at the rest of the season, there is no fundamental round where I can say Max is solely responsible for this screw-up. Like, the other big blows in his title campaign have been directly at the hands of other people, Except maybe Monza, which I think most people would probably deem as a racing incident. Um, where it's genuinely yeah. quite Max, hard Max to was perfectly blame. responsible, but so was yeah. the other person that he uh, ended up in the gravel with. Uh, yeah, when we talk about uh, XP, expected points. Mm. Um, shout out your man's RJ. <laughs> the... Uh, Verstappen just keeps bringing in the points. And when we expect Mercedes to, when they are ahead and they do have track position, they just haven't been. Because I think it paints a very, uh, I think it paints a picture where I think the Red Bull across the year looks a little better than it is. These cars are very close and it's more circuit dependent Mm. Mm, and Red Bull's just maximizing more. And Max is just like a metronome. He just, he just keeps going. Yeah, he's he's not giving Lewis an inch. Like, if if he's not got the best car on the day, he was, he's finishing second, and, and he's take he's he's mitigating any good day that Mercedes had. It reminds me a lot of when Mark Marquez and Andrea De Vizioso had their title fights in MotoGP. Dovi had those big one-on-one head-to-head wins over Marquez on multiple occasions. He only ever gained five points out of it. And when Ducati had a bad day, he was finishing sick for further down the order. It's it that's kind of it's a more extreme version of what I've basically seen with Verstappen this year, and he's been virtually flawless pretty much all season long. And it's looking like he's finally starting to break off an advantage in this title race that might be a bit too much for Mercedes to reel in. Hey, there's still possibility of shenanigans. That's that's why we watch, and Look, it bar- wouldn't surprise reliability. me and or crashes, Mercedes has to consider Brazil the match point. They have to win yeah. there. Yeah, yeah I, I would say that. It's, 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 I think we're now at win or bust territory for Mercedes at this point. They have to pretty much run the table from here, realistically speaking. Um, and it, it, it only gets worse... Oh, sorry, RJ, before we, before we move on, RJ, did you say something? Say something I, there, wanted, I wanted to start talking about uh, Sergio Perez yes. uh, at home. Third place, had a chance at second. It got it got closer within like DRS range. Maybe enough to make a desperation lunge, but not really close enough. But that's huge. One thing because he finished at on the podium at home, and two because with Valtteri Bottas having just the worst sort of race, uh, there's one point in it in the constructors' championship between Mercedes and Red Bull. Yeah, remember when we oh, yeah. said the uh, constructors' championship was probably done, uh, Sergio Perez. Just sat up out of the coffin. Got up like the Undertaker did. Um, yeah, back-to-back podiums for Checo. His arguably his two strongest drives in a Red Bull since joining the team. Maybe maybe Baku notwithstanding. But yeah, like superb in 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 that race again. And you don't see Hamilton ran that close. You'd expect that from the other guy in the Red Bull. But this time it was Perez that was giving Hamilton a headache um, pretty much all race long. But the compromise so strategy. Because yeah. Red Bull kept him out long on purpose so they could try and get in the lead laps 
But that should have given Hamilton an overwhelming I don't, advantage. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think... Okay. I'll hear you out. I, 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 I think they tried to... Uh, I think they wanted to undercut him, but Lewis mm. was the first one to bail on this initial set of tires. Red Bull had this very small window where they maybe could have jumped him because uh, Lewis yeah. got... He came out from his pit stop right up behind Charles, and the dirty mm. air in Mexico was absurd. In this altitude, all that air is that much more valuable. When it comes off of your car following another, it is even stronger. Yeah, because you could tell during the race, during the last third, where Sergio chased down Hamilton, got within a half second. Well, got close to a half second and hit a wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, he came, Lewis came out behind Leclerc. I think they should have pitted Perez then. Yeah. um, And tried to jump him that way. Otherwise, but I think it was very risky, and I think Red Bull didn't want to take the risk when they've got a huge blow to the Mercedes and the constructors anyway. Yeah, yeah, could be wor- could have done worse strategy. You could have been Alfa Romeo with Antonio Giovinazzi with oh a chance God. to double your points output in a race where he really needed points, and you get him stuck behind Valtteri Bottas for a whole race. Oh, well, yeah, a fate worse um, than death. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna look back on it in the season review, but. Looking back across this year, the amount of bad strategy that has cost Alfa Romeo points, you'd swear it's their parrot team that's uh, writing the strategies <laughs> for them. Because uh, both Kimi and Gio deserve a lot more. But yeah, Perez yeah. was superb this weekend. Superb. He, he feeds off every session. Crowd. He has three straight podiums. It's, it's amazing. This is what we wanted to see the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it might be that extra push that gets in the Constructors' title because we all looked at Perez being the elephant in the room back at Sochi when he was 30-odd points behind Valtteri Bottas and he's completely reined that gap back in um, towards uh, his, I guess you could say, counterpart in the uh, in the second it's, Mercedes. It's star, 20 was... points between Bottas and Perez, four races and... left in the season, and the Constructors' Championship has a point in it. Yeah, the same it's again. so close. It's so close that they pitted Valtteri Bottas repeatedly at the end of the race to try and get him some clean air to yank the fastest lap point away from Max. You are not getting that purple football, Red Bull. (laughs) (laughs) Bottas finished that race two laps down as a result of the... uh... The damage in the extra pit stops, which... When uh, it rains for Terry Bottas, it it pours. Oh, poor Uh, On a weekend where he... On a weekend where across the board he was... He looked better than Lewis from practice yeah. all the way through to qualifying. Uh, just even when Valtteri has a good weekend, it ends up not going so well. And then got thrown under the bus for apparently not blocking Max off the start. So, you know, the, the whole game of let's let's take individual screenshots of like frame by frame of the start and see precisely where Valtteri could have parked his car to prevent Max's. By the way, as I say it again, otherworldly overtake. Um, yeah. Like, at that start there, no fault of Botas. There's no way you'd assume that, oh, Max is going to outbreak both of us and make the corner. Like, Botas was punished for doing the right thing, backing out in the middle of a free wide. <laughs> and, then he got, and then he got hit from behind and got anyway. Over. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you would have, you would have, if he didn't back out, it would have been exactly what happened to Esteban Ocon further down the field. I don't know how Ocon bringing it back that race. <laughs> bringing it back to the man in P3. Um, looked great out on track. Ran Lewis very close. Um, at, at any other at, at a track at any other altitude, probably gets that position. But we're probably. in Mexico, so dirty air fest. And then that post race celebration. With uh, oh. Perez, Perez the Elder. <laughs> I got to that, say, I was the happiest man on planet Earth in that micro instant. Having a Grand Prix basically in the middle of a football stadium is great. Like, the Mexican fans were incredible all weekend long. Checo chants that could be heard all over Mexico. And I think they had something like over... I think, they had, I think it was 360,000 
over the course of the weekend. Yeah. A huge turnout for Mexico City. We, we were going nuts over America the previous week for 400,000. Mexico almost matched them body for body. Um, incredible turnout. And <laughs> we, we have to mention <laughs> Sergio Senior. <laughs> <laughs> the happiest man in the world. <laughs> I don't want to know what happens if Perez wins another race in his attendance. He's going um, to spontaneously you know, combust. <laughs> for, for for people who've been watching in the, uh, over the last decade, that's the first podium celebration I've seen like that since Kamui at Japan in 2012. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People chanting, people carrying, his crew carrying Sergio <laughs> around the inside of the football stadium, <laughs> flying a Mexican flag. It was so much fun to see. It was it was the one thing in sports that I've seen since the Side Talk Knicks video dropped a few weeks ago that has matched that kind of energy. <laughs> oh, I'm now, the I'm podium now... for, Ser- for Sergio Perez. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you ever doubt Sergio Perez? <laughs> Don't you regret not keeping him, Otmar? <laughs> not quite, given a result later down the field, which we'll get to a little later. But yeah, yeah uh, um, uh, great to see. Huge blow against Mercedes and the constructors. Mm. And uh, sets up... We, we've got two very close constructors fights separated by a total of one point across both of them. Wow, yeah. Well, on McLaren, and, I, I don't know. It's um, Alpha Tari and Alpine are now tied as well because of a certain yeah. someone that finished in fourth. We'll get to that briefly in a minute as well. But yeah, shout out to Checo's dad. Like, I love that he, he was high-fiving random people. He was hugging every member of the Red Bull crew he could find. Like, he, he, I think he adopted Max in the middle of the celebration, which I think is the most affection Max Verstappen has ever gotten from a father figure in his life. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> That's not wrong. <laughs> it was, and, and, and they brought back the car lift. I was like, yes, they brought, they, they lifted they him up. They understood with... the assignment. Hey, thank you, Dre. Oh. I have now coughed up a long laughing from that. <laughs> let's, it was uh, awesome. Let's talk about other people that mm. impressed us, because off the podium, after Perez and after Verstappen, there were some other performances that impressed. Um, how about Pierre Gasly in fourth? Definitive yep. best of the rest. Lonely, very, very lonely, but 12 points is 12 points. And now they're tied with Alpine, a team that has won a race. Pierre Gasly has mm. been... Pierre Gasly has, with that performance, for me, passed Lando for my uh, driver of the year contender. He's He's been relentless. I, I can certainly see the argument because when when Gasly is on it, he is on it. Like he he just we know that McLaren and Ferrari have got way more resources, arguably better driver talent across the, their two cars, and you know bless Yuki Tsunoda, he's just not on that level of the five guys that he's really competing with in that hella tight midfield fight. When Gasly's on it, he runs those dudes over. It's 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 re- he's done this like five or six times this season where he's cracked the top six and he's beaten significantly better machinery in order to do it. Um, he is superb when when he's fully dialed in. He really is. And I almost feel bad for his free agency situation because he's kind of ham hocked in a B team that is not realistically going to compete against McLaren and Ferrari, but. He is single-handedly dragging that AlphaTauri into contention. Um, he's yeah, this doing is an Alpine team that won job. a race this year, and Pierre has uh, has surpassed his point total from last season, despite the fact that he won a race last year. I know we have more races Knows. now, but still, but we've still got four races to go. Yeah, mm. and it shows it shows how phenomenal um, it shows the job that he's doing because. As I said before, he is a very different driver to the driver he was two years ago mm-hmm. in that Red Bull seat. Losing that seat got his ass in gear. It's unfortunate we had to get it to that point. Mm-hmm. But this year, he has been relentless. And he is putting... I, I don't know if he's putting the Alpha Tari where it doesn't deserve to be, or that's where it should be and Yuki's underperforming. I think six of one, half a dozen of the other. Mm. But Gasly just keeps raking raking in these points. Mm. Big points. Big chunky points. And uh, 
another another uh, twelve or four places enough to scoff at. Can I be a little bit self-indulgent and say Sebastian Vettel? Well, go, ahead. Go, over ahead. Here. go ahead. Go ahead. Aston Martin Seven. should never have gotten that close to a top eight finish all weekend. <laughs> I shouldn't be this happy Drain. with finishing seventh. The floor is yours. Helicopter for our enjoyment. Um, yeah, sure. So, no, 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 I'm not, not doing that. <laughs> but uh, look, look, we, we've had brighter days this year, thankfully. But uh, look, this, this Aston Martin car is not great. I, I think it's probably going to finish seventh out of the... It's, it's, high, it's high Q2 at the absolute limit. Yeah, that's... It seems to be that you might nick <laughs> into Q3 if you're lucky, basically. You know, qualified 11th, got a little bit of a promotion due to the amount of engine penalties, but finished... You know, a, a quiet but very comfortable seventh. So I'll t in the seventh best car, that's way above par. So I'll happily take that. Um, I've, again, I feel sorry it came at Antonio Giovinazzi's expense, who was driving a superb race. Um, but then, I, I, also, I don't know if you guys heard it, but after the race, he literally got on the radio as soon as they crossed the flag and literally said, uh, thanks for the strategy today, guys. <laughs> Sarcastically, is he crossed the flag? That is a man who knows he is out of that team and is letting them know how bad they fucked him. Jeez, so at bad. Least, at least buy him dinner first. Oh, dear. Maybe Guan Yu Zhou will buy him dinner after uh, that seat inevitably gets confirmed for him in the next couple of weeks or so. Or like, say, I or don't, share, or I, Oscar I, Piastri, I, or who is ever behind this door? <laughs> What's in the box? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, anyone else wanted a shout out, Arjun? Um, can we reckon in a good race? This may end up being his last noteworthy result as a Formula One driver. Eighth is mm. uh, Alfa Romeo were generally good. I, I don't know what it is. They've been nowhere, but. You just put them in high altitude, and somehow they they've keep, impressed. They just keep throwing away points. Uh, I'll say Lando Norris fighting back from a power unit penalty. Uh, drove a mm. great race. Ended up in the points, which at this point you have to say, given that updated Ferrari uh, hybrid system, he, it's looking increasingly like Mercedes or that McLaren Mercedes is losing their grip on third in the constructors. Mm. It might be decided on one point. That might be a clutch performance. Mm, could be. Could be. Very much so. Um, yeah, a good, good day for some of the midfielders out there that we don't normally praise on the show. So, yeah, sadly, I would say if you're going to go out of your way with Mexico, just watch the YouTube highlights. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, there's not much to see besides that. It was uh, one of the weaker rounds of the year. Again, I'm not going to get too mad about it because uh, we've only got four rounds left of these regulations and we've been spoiled this year, quite frankly. So, you know, we, we will take the odd stinker every Go once in a while. Go to Sao Paulo! <laughs> um, bef before we get into the MotoGP section real quick as well, there is a follow-up from a story we did um, on a quite infamous segment of ours from three weeks ago in the America yeah. special. Um, and uh, it's not a good sign when a certain Mr. Ryan Eric King has to call it the Brundle Rule. And I'm just like, hey, oh, I God. didn't call it that. Other <laughs> people did. Everyone else, everyone else has called it that. And uh, Martin Brundle himself has actually come out and effectively distanced himself from it. Yeah, he said on Twitter yesterday that uh, he's, he he didn't ask for any changes. He said he had no real problem with what had actually happened. But F1 took it upon themselves yesterday to change its its uh, policy on grid procedures. The most notable highlight of that was the removal of god of bodyguards on the grid. A... How how, is it, how are we going to protect Martin Brundle? I know who's like, going to think the... about Martin Brundle's safety. Look, it's his domain, it's it, it, it's his turf, we have to protect him so he can ask more asinine questions. This has to happen, right? <sighs> yeah, I, I, I feel like this is a classic case of Formula One looking at that situation and changing the wrong thing. Like, and like, obviously you can't change Brundle's interview technique or anything of that shit, but... The bodyguard wasn't really the problem here. Like yeah. the bodyguard was the yeah. only person that really did like anything wrong, wrong. But again, as we discussed, like if you know anything about um, singer Megan the Stallion, you'll know that her entourage may have a uh, legitimate claim to be a little bit hyper vigilant. Exactly. You know? yes. uh, for the those, for those who shot. don't know, yeah, mm. woman who was shot earlier this year. 
Um, so they're they're always going to take. They're going to be overprotective because that is their job. Yeah, and they have reason to do their job in an overprotective manner. It's just. Can I just say though, there, by the way, while you're while you're thinking of that, that Megan is handling everything so gracefully. Like she even invited Martin Brundle to a concert recently. That's great. Yeah, we have yeah, so Megan. What a woman. <laughs> Megan was not. Megan was not the problem. No matter what your point of view is here. Not. Um. More, a little more respect from Brundle's side. A little more respect from the bodyguard side. But I. I don't know. I, I feel rubbed the wrong way because pretty much Brundle's response to this was in a tweet. Quote, for the, for the avoidance of doubt, I don't care who visits the F1 grid. The more the merrier. Talk to me, ignore me, shove, wave, hug, call me names, whatever makes you happy. All I ask is you soak up the atmosphere, enjoy the privilege. I've not asked for any grid protocol changes. Which, I understand, the, I understand the last sentence, but everything before that. Uh, that's, not what, that's not what your comments were a couple weeks ago. No. You've changed your tune. Like, you had a problem with what happened, Joe, during that interview. You, again, he, he, the man clearly feels he had the divine right to do what he did. And unfortunately, a lot of people agreed with that notion that the man has a yes, divine right to, to be a Yes, girl boss Martin Brundle! <laughs> we, are, we are definitely uh, we are definitely girl bossing, we are definitely gaslighting, we are most certainly gatekeeping. Uh, yeah, and that and that's my biggest yes, problem with, queen. with... Yeah, like, that was the biggest problem I had with all of this. It wasn't so much what the bodyguard did or what Martin Brundle did to a degree. It was the fact that now Formula One has acted rather rashly. People are going to jump on that rather rash action without realizing that taking away bodyguards is going to make the famous people that you want to collaborate with, you want the attention of, and you want people to show up to your Grand Prix to help promote or co-promote or whatever you want to call it with. They're going to be far less likely to turn up to your Grand Prix if they know that their safety might be compromised by their presence being there. Oh, yes, just look at that clip, just look at that clip that's been going around of some of the drivers exactly. arriving in Sao Paulo, and they're just, like, being mugged at all angles. Yeah, Char Charles Leclerc was almost buried under an oh. avalanche of fangirls. You ever, yeah. seen that, you ever seen that scene yeah. where Tommy Lee Jones' character, Natural Born Character Killers, gets his head ripped off at the prison riot? Yeah. It's like yeah, that. It's that. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it and, just feels and, like it, it feels like a totally unnecessary rule, and it feels like like most most things this year in Formula One. the The actual problem here isn't so much what actually happened, and more everyone's response to it on the various media's of the social. But we race yeah. as one, everybody. Please buy into our corporate activism slogan. <laughs> We're begging you. See, see, we're we're doing marketing now. We even have a new green logo that we, you know, only came in like seven years late. The the, the most obvious logo change you could have possibly imagined happened. Love to see it, but uh, yeah, the shy I, I, little V six hybrid engine boy. We're not we're not ashamed of our literally the most impressive combustion engines on the planet. But it yeah. doesn't sound like a V twelve. Like. Why does this sport go out of its way to frustrate us so easily? It's just like, oh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's infuriating. You want to talk to Matt less frustrating? Let's talk about MotoGP. That, surely that's going, to, um, that's going to leave us less frustrated because we did it. We raised the edge limit and we've cut down motorcycle racing fatalities by 500%. We've cut down the accident by 1,000%. It's over. Motorcycle accidents RJ, if this done. was a Discord call, I would disconnect you right now. I was going to say, um, oh. about that, let's talk about the Algarve situation. <laughs> A relatively tame affair as MotoGP headed back to Portimao for the second time this season. We're not really going to talk about the MotoGP race this time around because 
there wasn't an awful lot to take away from it. Francisco Bagnaia took his fifth straight pole position of the year, and he would win a lights-to-flag victory in pretty comfortable fashion. The only man in his postcode was Johan Mir. Yes, that Johan Mir having his best result of the year in second place with Jack Miller on the podium in third. It was a relatively tame race, not an awful lot of action, unfortunately. Um, and it, but it did end two laps early, so we got out of town a little bit early because uh, there was quite a nasty crash with two laps to go between Miguel Oliveira and Michael Laquona at the top of the hill. Um, Miggy's left leg getting caught between two crashing bikes. Laquona went for a big dive bomb um, at the top of the hill, uh, tucked the front, binned his bike, and Miguel got collected for the second straight year by a guy on the same bike as him. I don't know, like Big what God man's get him. <laughs> like I don't know, I don't know what God Miggy pissed off in a previous life to keep getting taken out by his own like his own comrades on the same machine. But here we are. Um, but with Fabio Quattararo also having his first DNF of the year, he crashed late on in that with about seven laps to go. Congrats to Ducati, manufacturers champions for the second year in a row. It's a weird timeline where we're saying that Ducati, once again, are the best all-rounders in the field. <laughs> How did that happen? Um, anyway. Jack, the jack of all <laughs> trades and the master of only one. Yeah, and yet, manufacturers champions, undisputed, two years running. MotoGP, everybody. Our focus is going to be on Moto3. First and foremost, congratulations to Pedro Acosta, everybody. The 17-year-old became... The first rookie champion in the lightweight class since Loris Caparossi back in 1990. Um, for, uh, 31 years since a rookie Loris won the lightweight title. Old when he walked away. But, yeah, but Dre, exactly. I thought, but Dre, I thought the problem with these classes and this this small bike racing was all the under 18s riding them. Yeah, we have yeah. to get the kids out of these cages. I mean, we have to get the kids off the motorcycles. Yeah, yeah, we, we say as a 17-year-old rookie world champion is out here uh, reeling in his golden helmet. So, um, and I, I love they even joked about it, because if he saw his title celebration, he wore an orange bib, which is normally to signify a rookie rider. Nice touch. <laughs> very, very good. We knew we were about to see something special, but Dre, uh, it probably could have been closer, if not for... Oh, my God. Dive bomb Darren is back, everybody. I know you missed it, didn't you? Darren Binder, on the final lap of that race, got his breaking point completely wrong for turn three at the bottom of the hill, plowed into the side of uh, Dennis Foggia and Sergio Garcia's bikes, took them both out of the race, and with Foggia crashing, that ended the championship pretty much right there and then. Um, as Acosta would basically win in open air for the final lap of that race. It was a victory lap for Acosta in the end, and uh, Foggia, understandably, apocalyptically angry um, that his championship, and let's not forget he was running a bike length behind Acosta, knowing that if Acosta won, it was title over. It was literally do or die for Foggia, and uh, Darren Binder ripped it out of his hands. Leopard Racing, his team, literally went on the record and said, Darren Binder threw our entire season away. On the record, in a public statement. Yeah, it's still up there. If you want to go yeah. read it, you can. Yes. And, and uh, uh, Stephen A. Smith's NBA clunt dune tweet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and after the race, I mean, Darren went to go apologize and uh, was thrown out of the garage, was physically barred access to their garage. Yeah, get out. Uh, yeah, Binder was disqualified. For that dive bomb, by the way, I'm as worth pointing out. So it looks like the stewards have listened. They are seemingly starting to throw out harsher punishments. So Binder was going to finish that race in fourth. He was disqualified. So he was removed from the result outright. It also got some of the MotoGP guys talking about this because there was a big press conference at the end of the MotoGP race. And it turned into a big old open discussion between Bagnaia, Morbidelli, Valentino Rossi about what to do about some of these younger riders. And... Bagnaia, who's also a big F1 fan, talked about, hmm, what if we had a super license? Like, And this is the quote you came out with, said, uh, I think that like in the car championship, we need a super license. Just if you are doing something good in your championship, you can move to the next level. And today what we saw is normality, because we've seen a lot of crashes like this from him, in a direct reference to Darren Binder, may I add. This is, like, Binder has accelerated all this conversation. <laughs> um, so I know it's that it's not correct to say it, 
about another rider, but this year he will be with us in MotoGP, and I hope that incident will not happen. But it's something they have to think on, I think. Uh, Valentino Rossi also chimed in saying, quote, I don't know for the super license, but I think we have some riders, like, for example, Pinder, who are always oh, very, God. very, very <laughs> aggressive. And sometimes they make some mistakes like this, and it's not fair on the others. But this is rider by rider, so for the super license, I don't know sincerely. So, I thought, like, like I know King first brought it up to my attention on Monday morning, um, as, as he described it as spicy, and I was like, this is spicy! Like, they, they just threw Binder completely under the bus for the entire weekend. Uh, deservingly so. Yeah, and uh, so, fellas, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think a super licensed system in MotoGP, could it work? Is it feasible? Oh, yes, because they have full and total control of their ladder. There aren't any outside championships besides, mm, well... Well, not really. Not really, like, World Superbike's under Dorna's control as well. There's, like, exactly. there's no outside uh, variables. I, I would say they're all under the FIM, so... Mm. Yeah, they could control the whole system across every series and adjust it. If the initial balance isn't right of what you get for a given series, they can always change it. They control every series. Uh, at least outside of right. America, but no one cares about American Superbike right now. Yeah, fortunately. Uh, it's feasible. Would it the... fix the problem? I don't necessarily think so. I, I think it would, because it would restrict who teams could sign. Mm. See, I, I've given this a lot of thought, and my thought is, is that when it comes to talent selection... <laughs> The sport naturally kind of ends up shaking it out anyway, in that sense. Like, it, Darren Binder going up two classes to MotoGP next year is like the most egregious potential talent doesn't reflect the team he's joining sort of situation we've had recently. If it was Frankie Morbidelli who made an, an interesting point regarding this in that same press conference where he said, look... If we had this sort of system, Fabio Quattararo would probably would never have made it, or at least wouldn't have made it straight away, because his junior series results were not good, and Patronus took a punt on him when he was in Moda 2. He had one career-winning Grand Prix to that date, took a punt on him, and it turned out he ended up being an incredible rider, and obviously a, a, new, a new world champion. I don't think teams at the highest level swing and miss all that often. In all honesty, I think, generally speaking, the ladder... Not to this degree. But but the thing like, is, even when you look at Fabio's junior record, it's not nearly as bad as Bender. No, where, no. like, say, like, sure, being 10th in Moto2 is pretty far off the pace. But I'm pretty sure there are ways to allow a Fabio to come up from Moto2 while avoiding someone seventh in Moto3 from moving straight to the top class. Yeah. I, I would say I it would depend have... on how you stagger how the points are achieved, which again, mm. FIA, if, FIM could directly influence because sure. they hold control over all of the classes globally. Because like, Again, the only other recent example we've had this is Jack Miller. Jack Miller was runner-up in Moto3 in 2014. He lost out to Alex Marquez. He did the double jump and skipped Moto2 entirely. And for or against, I'm not entirely sure. Of course, Miller is now one of the best bike riders in the world. No doubt about that. On the other end of the coin, it took him five years in MotoGP to really get to that point. And when his career in the top flight first started, he was criticized by a lot of people. He had to be pulled aside by Mike Webb, who's, who's the head of race direction, and said, look, Jack, get it together. Because he took out Hector Barber at Assen that weekend, and it didn't go down well. And people were bitching about it. was an atrocious quite incident. Yeah, it was, he, he almost completely spiked Hector Barber's leg. It could have been very, very nasty, potentially. So, <coughs> look... I generally think that this is not as big a problem as Banyaya is making out. I think this is kind of a freak instance as well, because Maverick Vinales getting sacked from Yamaha when he did kind of screwed everything up for Yamaha in that sense, because they were going to... Like, Petronas was leaving the sport, you know... They were losing. They didn't. They weren't sure if they were going to have Yamaha back in 
um, into going into the season. It turns out they will because they now own like the RAF, like Razlan Rasi owns the team now, the RAF team. They had to dig up talent on that was already on their books because a lot of the big names that are in Moto Two last year were already taken. Um, you know, because Frau Fernandez is going up next year. Remy Garner is moving up next year. Aaron Canet was already confirmed at Pons. Fabio Di Giantonio was already confirmed to be going up early on in the season. So, like Marco Bezzecchi, not confirmed, but pretty much nailed on, is going to be riding for Valentino Rossi's team next year. So, they were never going to get a top-tier dude available. However, was Darren Binder really the best guy you could have gotten? Oh. Like... No, oh. because Darren Binder, I've, I have said it before, I will say it again until he proves to me otherwise. He is a danger to himself and others on a motorcycle. Yeah. He is how old? How old? 23. 23. He's 23. He's 23. Remember, the problem is the under-18s on these bikes, right, Dorna? It's not the 23-year-old who has consistently been completely incapable of risk assessment for his yeah. entire career. What it, what it comes and now down he's going to be on the full-fat MotoGP bikes. Yeah, he's when it comes down to something like this... I rather have a super license point system other than age limits. Have have you limited by merit, not age, which is wholly arbitrary. Right. Yeah. That's, that's entirely fair. Like Jake Dixon was right there. Like far more experienced on on bigger machinery. Had a prestigious career in BSB, which is a, a solid superbike series in its own right. And well, the thing is, had Darren time on is. Darren is fast on his day, sure. and they've got to be thinking that they can they can somehow harness this. But geez, the the amount of incidents that he's had, and it's Multiple. not just the amount; it's the way he has them, where yeah. it, it's like he, it's like he just switches on pu public lobby mode on insert racing game here, and that move on on Sunday was never, not in a million years, going to work. And the second everyone started breaking for the corner, you could see it coming. That he was yeah. firing into a disappearing gap. He was never going to make that corner in a month of Sundays. And there is a reason why the paddock has called him Dive Bomb Darren. That's not... Like, if you've got a nickname in a MotoGP paddock, that's normally not a good thing. And, yeah, I... Look, I am not for Darren Binder going to MotoGP. I think a super license is a bit of an exaggerated an exaggerated solution to the problem because I don't think it's as big a problem as some are making out. But I could certainly see why you might want to safeguard the bigger classes based on merit. Thankfully, I'd say most of the time in GP, it solves itself. Well, um, I, I think one point that is important about you know, a potential super license system is looking at the FIA system. And one thing that people forget is that if you compete in a championship officially sanctioned by the FIA and you finish the season without any penalty points, you actually get bonus super license points. Like oh. it, the system's designed to encourage people to drive safely. Yeah. It's not, it's not just built around <laughs> results but how you achieve those results and the drive the, the race craft that you display while you're getting them. In, in Darren Bender's case, a complete and utter lack of lack of race craft. Yeah. There is but, some insight that we have. Uh, uh, the team felt like they owed Bender. He had a contract with Patronus and they've already breached a contract with John McPhee when they owed him a Moto2 ride and that didn't. Yeah, happen. exactly. Like, their, their word is not worth anything because they basically dicked around John McPhee earlier on in his career as it is. So, like, like that word is barely worth the piece of paper it's printed on, quite frankly. So, it's a bit of a messy one. I, I can understand why they felt they owed Binder something and they thought he was the most talented guy the in the books they brothers, had left. They got the Aspargaro brothers. We can have brothers too, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we're keen, as keen on the Binder ones as much. We like Brad. Brad is great. Um, Darren, yeah. Um, just before we get out the, of town, the, the as talent, well. the, the talent landed all on one side of that equation. Yeah, that's safe to say. Good luck, Darren. You're gonna need it. Um, before we get out of here, as well, I just want to say, as well, uh, best wishes to Mark Marquez. Um, Jesus, uh, we, we we already knew he was missing this race due to 
concussion that he had received in a dirt bike accident. He'd had training for the, the race in Portimao. <laughs> Turns out it was worse than we feared um, because this man cannot catch a clean bill of health to save his life. Um, he has had a recurrence of the nerve damage in his in his eye that he suffered in 2011. Um, for those guys who don't know, he suffered it in a freak accident at, at Sepang that year. I think it was a clash he had with Bradley Smith in a Moto2 race. Sadly, that weekend was overshadowed by something far more grim, unfortunately, um, in, in, in GP motorcycling history at that time around. But it did effectively cost him a run at that 2011 Moto2 title because he had to miss the final two rounds. He had to have corrective surgery um, on that nerve to ensure that he wasn't suffering from double vision. That's come back. And uh, he will definitely miss the final round at Valencia this weekend. And he will also miss the Heref test directly after that. So Marquez's future is unclear going forward. And uh, I think Cammy worked it out. Four of the last five off-seasons, he's gone into them not 100%. <laughs> uh, quite far from 100% in pretty much all of them. Uh, it's uh, it's not good. And I believe the, the specifics of this one, uh, I have them here from uh his doctor are uh diplom diplopia uh double vision and a paralysis of the fourth right nerve with involvement of the right superior oblique muscle basically he can't move i, I believe it's his right eye he can't rotate that eyeball right now mm. um which is not ideal when you're riding a motorcycle no um, <laughs> i myself uh i myself many years ago Landed on my head in a uh, dirt bike incident. I can tell you. Uh, first of all, it explains a lot, but I can say it's not very fun. No. <laughs> and uh, as uh, hopefully Mark can recover from this as he did uh, about a decade ago. It's just it's it comes at a bad time for Honda when you've got a completely revised bike coming to the Harath test. A you know. Rear rear fender to front fender, completely brand new bike uh, going into next year. We know who it's built for because we know he is the anchor of the Honda team, for better and for worse. And he's not going to be there to uh, give his opinion on it. Not straight away, anyway. We'll have to wait and see what happens. No. So there's, 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 there's a second test. There'll be a, there'll be a test, obviously, early February um, next year. Probably at Sepang. Depends on their COVID situation. Um, going into 2022. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a question of time, and uh, hopefully, as it did before, might need surgery, but uh, hopefully it can correct itself and can get back on the bike, because I can tell you right now, no one with a concussion should be riding a motorcycle. No. No, absolutely friggin' not. And unfortunately, this sport isn't, has, has not been 100% on that at all in, in, in recent times, so... I'm glad that Repsol Honda did the right thing last week by pulling him from Portimao in the first place, especially now we know it was actually far worse than just a concussion. Um, so, yeah, again, fingers crossed to Mark and all the best. Hopefully it's not as serious as feared. Um, next week, uh, we got another doubleheader. Um, we, obviously, we have Formula One over in Sao Paulo, Brazil, for the Brazilian Grand Prix, potentially... We think here it's probably match point for Mercedes. So uh, prepare for Hamilton's last stand um, in the land of his hero, potentially. Um, Don't say tries. that. <laughs> last time that happened, shit got bad real quick. Oh boy. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Um, as well as MotoGP's season finale at Valencia. And uh, I, I suspect, just a touch, that one man will dominate proceedings. Ah, uh, they'll be the final race of Mr. Valentino the the, the, the Yeah, it really will be the last dance. And uh, fun tell fact... Me, tell me <laughs> tell me with well a done. straight face you, you foresaw years ago that we'd have Casey Stoner and Valentino Rossi hanging out together 
willingly in the same garage. Um, it, like, it feels like a part of my childhood soul has moved on now that I've seen the two of them. Um, we can have, we can achieve anything. Stoner and Rossi, arm in arm. I, I hope because this week is right. Stoner's going to be on BT Sports coverage this weekend in the UK. So uh, I'm actually looking forward. To, I hope they interview him on that because I was like, I want to know about that picture because I've never seen those two arm in arm smiling. And Doffy was there in another picture as well. So a, a lot of history between those three right there. And uh, fun fact, that race will be on November the 14th. The date, 14, 11, 21. Combine that makes 46. Mm. <laughs> the final race of Valentino Rossi's oh, career. We'll talk about that on next week's show. Oh, a quick shout out to my friend as well. Lewis has just mentioned in the chat as well. Danny and Jorge will be down there as well. So we're probably going to get all sorts of tribute content over the weekend, which is bound to be fun. We'll talk about all of that and more. Uh, on Motorsport 101 this time next week but just before we get out of here basically you can find us one more time youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 twitter at motorsport underscore 101 our personal handles on the screen if you're listening in via audio at harrison 101 hd at rj o'connell at ryan eric king and at c buckley 917 um, if you follow us on instagram at motorsport 101 pod for a bonus content over there as well and you can find everything on what we do on our website motorsport 101 including that patreon page where you can back us financially on there five bucks for ready access to all the audio episodes 10 for the video versions and be able to listen to these shows live as they're being recorded we'll be back for a double header in brazil and valencia next week but until then i've been dre harrison they've been rj o'connell ryan eric king and cam buckley uh until next time sayonara later y'all bye why does the sun keep setting at five o'clock now? Don't question like it. it. <laughs>